What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where he's put on quite a show. He's really got it going. That was quite a show. Curtains far from closing. That was quite a show. Very entertaining. Take the over now. Go on and take a brow. So take a bow, the brow, because the Lakers have found second life this season thanks to their number one franchise player, Anthony Davis. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, did you like my little Rihanna remix there in Ode of AD? I loved it. Great. Anyways, more to the topic at hand. How did you like Anthony Davis's 50 burger? I loved it just as much. I like my burgers with some grilled onions. But speaking of onions and speaking of layers, there are layers upon layers with regards to how Anthony Davis is dominating the league right now. Um, Let's get right into this show. Anthony Davis, my God, uh, what an absolute beast. Better than Bubble AD because he's doing it from all angles in a variety of ways and in a more ferocious sort of intimidating physical way than he did in the bubble do you have any favorite plays from Anthony Davis in these last two games versus the Washington Wizards and the Milwaukee Bucks? Against the Wizards, I'd say definitely the uh, the play where he caught the ball in a crowd under the rim. Mm-hmm. He went up once and the ball got stripped or blocked by Gafford. 
And then he just went up in this sea of arms of like Gafford and Porzingis. Oh, like, God. <laughs> just both trying to block him. Gafford fouled the shit out of him. They didn't call yeah, it. That was um, insane. And he just dunked right through them and like let out this like crazy, you know, roar. And it, that was that was insane. You know what I mean? I mean, for the people who have been talking about how AD has lost like a, a little bit of a step off or like a little bit of a step, maybe early in the season, people were, were saying things like that. I mean, I don't know, maybe vertically. I don't know that he has necessarily 100 percent of the same explosion he used to have, but it you wouldn't know it from watching these past few games. And yeah. one more I'll do because he's just had so many highlight plays. But against the Bucks, one of the ones that I feel like was sneaky, like not talked about enough was he the ball gets kicked out to him at the three point line and he like pump fakes on Brooke Lopez and then drives to the rim and then does like a double clutch jump. Like he jumps from like outside, like a double pump on the, on the dunk, right? He like Mm -hmm. jumps from outside the paint and like pumps the ball to the side to like avoid a block from, I I think Giannis, somebody was rim protecting and then just brings the ball back and hammer dunks it. Mm. And for your six eleven center to do that off the dribble from the three point line. I mean, that is just like, that's like pure insanity. So AD has been, we'll get into it, but he has literally been, in my opinion, the best overall player in the league so far. And that's counting like the first five games where like he didn't even look that good. So it, it, he's just been phenomenal all around. On both ends, right? He's getting like three yeah. blocks every game now. Um, oh, I mean, the dude is first in the league in PER, first in the league in rebounding, and second in the league in blocks. It's just like insane. It, it's an insane mad run. Um, same play as you. I love the the dunking all over Perzingis and Gafford at the same time. Those are like two guys with seven foot three plus wingspans, and AD is just treating them like kids hanging on the rim ferociously. And then in the Milwaukee Bucks game, I obviously like to highlight the, was it end of the second quarter or end, end of the first? I think it was the end of the first half. He had that insane... End of the first half, the LeBron pass, yeah. Yeah, he had that insane turnaround fadeaway jump shot to beat the buzzer. And the other thing that's been happening in this recent stretch is it seems like AD has all of a sudden... Any shot he takes, floater, hook shot, anything, he's found his touch again. And not not just in terms yeah. of the mid-range jump shots, but he looks like Anton Jameson out there flipping up any shot. If he's in the vicinity of the paint, it's going in, and it's going in very fluidly and smoothly. You know what I mean? Um, and it's been, man, it's been such a joy to watch because everything is firing on all cylinders from him. 44 points, 10 rebounds, 3 blocks against freaking Giannis. And then, obviously, last night against the Wizards, 55 points, 17 rebounds, 3 blocks, all over the Capitol floor. I mean, if there's anything the last couple seasons have should have taught us as fans, right? It's like to not take this type of stuff for granted. Anthony yeah. Davis, we're 20 games, 22 games into the season plus at this point, right? And AD's played in 20 of them. He's shooting 59% from the field, which is like by far and away his career high. And it, it, he's not just taking, you know, it's not just like alley-oop dunks. Like he is being a lot better about his shot selection, but the dude is like, you know, he's hitting jumpers. His he's, his three-point touch has like come back a little bit mm-hmm. in the last couple of games. He's shooting like among, I think, second highest percentage of his career from the line. Career high rebounds, like career high... um, or not career high, but maybe second of his career, third of his career in blocks, career high scoring. I mean, it's just crazy, you know? It, it's like the last time he scored this much was 2018, um, 2017-18, when the uh, 
I think the Pelicans were like a playoff team. So this is the AD that we traded for. This is the AD we saw in the 2019-20 season and certainly in the bubble. And I don't I don't know. I think a lot of people, maybe even myself included, thought we might never see this AD again. And he came back and he's like even better than he, he's, you know, has ever been. So Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm just so glad that his back popped back into shape because once he started, you know, holding his back at the beginning of the season, I was like, Oh, here we go. It's gonna be a snowball of, you know, knickknack injuries from here. And somehow it's almost like I don't know, he got an injection of life or some super serum or something and he's never looked back. Um, the 55 points is his career high in points as a Laker. Obviously had, he had 50 points, I think two years ago against Carl Anthony towns and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the 55 points is just four points off his career high of 59 points. AD has posted two of his top four scoring games as a Laker in the last two games. This is also 10 straight double doubles for Anthony Davis and in his last 10 games, Anthony Davis is averaging 35.3 points, 15.6 rebounds, three blocks on 65, 46, 88 splits. In his last three games, Anthony Davis is shooting five of eight from three as well. The Lakers have won three straight since the Indiana debacle. They have won eight out of 10 overall. They're eight and two in the last 10. They are now 10 and 12 on the season, just two games behind the eighth place Jazz. And so Tommy... Clearly, Anthony Davis is the new number one, right? And it seems like LeBron is on board with this. How have they managed? How has this come about? Because it's been obviously part and parcel. Anthony Davis just, you know, really taking the onus on himself to just push through whatever knickknack injuries he's going through. But also, I think schematically, Darvin Ham. I feel like his edict for the guys on this team is you're not getting any minutes unless one, you're playing defense and two, you're not, you're not getting any minutes unless you give the ball to Anthony Davis. You know what I mean? Like it's been very intentional and they have allowed Anthony Davis. It's kind of like, you know, what we used to complain about with Kuzma where it's like, you got to get this guy engaged. You got to get him in motion, find ways to have him find a rhythm in his own dribble. And they've been doing that with Anthony Davis, letting him play. The position he played, I mean, he's not playing point guard, right? But he's, he was a point guard in high school, and they're finally letting him sort of bring the ball up the court, bring the ball up from, you know, the bring the ball up full court, <clears throat> initiate the offense at the top of the key, take his defenders off the dribble and really start to face up. But, you know, not face up in the Carmelo Anthony type of way where you're just jab stepping. It's Anthony Davis facing up yeah. in motion and using his own dribble to sort of catch his power forward center defender and put them on their skates because they're like oh my god I forgot how like crafty this dude was uh with his own dribble and it only takes really one dribble for Anthony Davis to start pirouetting in the lane and for him to put up these ridiculous quirky you know reverse layups he he, I forgot what what game it was but he caught a reverse layup alley-oop where he caught it on one side and then reversed it on the other. It might have been the Portland I mean, game, but it's just unreal, dude. It, it's like we're watching. Everyone's getting all hyped about this Victor Wembanyama, right? And if we were still a tank team, I would be hyped AF about him too. But, <laughs> but like, it's almost like we're seeing a fully realized version of that, like right now. Like I know that that dude has some other skills a little bit at his young age, but what AD is doing, I feel like this is like. 
I don't know. I personally, I know like Giannis is Giannis and he's had multiple NB, MVP caliber seasons. Um, but he's not so as good far. as this version of AD. But he is not as good as this version of AD. This was the version of AD we saw in the bubble where everybody said, is Giannis actually better with a- than AD? And then, you know, it led to at post bubble two years of people laughing at that comparison, right? But now AD is kind of showing after the two year hiatus like why people were talking about that. It wasn't just the bubble, he got lucky or whatever. This is like when AD is fully healthy, this is what it looks like. I think a big part of it is Ham and Chris Gent and the whole staff like figuring out how to get him the ball in his spots. And another big part of it is, frankly, I mean, you know, I will give... <laughs> We've given Rob more than enough flack, okay, on this podcast, and he he's deserved a lot of it. But because he's put so many guards on this team, like, we at all times have, like, multiple guys who know how to get AD the ball. This team is, like, aggressively trending up in assists. We're going to be a top 10 assist team here very shortly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is we have so many guards who are so focused on force feeding the ball to AD and AD just continues to deliver and deliver and deliver. And, you know, again, you, I think you have some specific numbers from the, from the last 10, but we've been shooting even without looking at these numbers, the eye test tells you we've been shooting a lot better as a team from the perimeter. So that opens up a ton for AD and, you know, having this sort of offense where it is a spaced like motion offense, like it's not necessarily just guys camping out at the three, but like when they catch it at the three, sometimes they're shooting it. Sometimes they're driving and creating other looks. Sometimes it, it like, it puts the defense in such a bad spot because you sag off those shooters. Those shooters are shooting good enough to where you have to try to recover. And then those guys are blowing by you. If they're not hitting the threes, open shots, they're blowing by you and creating chaos in the paint where, you know, we have these guards who are either feeding it to AD who's just swallowing. I mean, every ball that comes in, dude, it just is, it, it feels insane because it felt like we had the last two years of watching our bigs, including AD, by the way, like, just fumble balls away and anytime it was it was like the whole paint would collapse and you would try to throw a pass in there and led to like excessive turnovers and now it just feels like you throw that ball anywhere in the paint doesn't matter how many defenders are there 80 is going to be the one who comes out with it and that feels like dunking on everybody so I I don't know everybody deserves their props for how well this team has been playing offensively and again we gave we I think were probably among the uh, among the fans that were the most critical of Vogel and the way that he kind of, like we can give him his props for how he led that defense and won us the championship. But the way he utilized AD and LeBron was, yep. especially AD was not necessarily the most ideal. And, and we're sort of seeing now like on a team where the coach, the staff like is, is highly, highly interested in, in getting guys into positions where they can succeed who knows how much of an effect like a guy like Chris Gent has had on that too with getting guys like locked in. I mean, I think we're a top 10 like free throw shooting team um, in, in terms of percentage for the first time. And do you even remember the last time we were this good? Like, no. I mean, it's been like a decade, dude, because even when we won the championship, we were like bottom five free throw percentage. So like it's just like uh, uh, at every level, it feels like this team has has fit, you know clicked offensively and and everybody across the board the players the staff I think everybody deserves big time props for that yeah I think the last episode we were still pretty pessimistic because it came on the heels of the Indiana Pacers debacle even though we controlled much of that game but sort of seeing us keep in step with the Milwaukee Bucks the, one of the top teams in the East 
and them getting Chris Middleton back. Obviously, they're still working on reacclimating Chris Middleton, but for us to go in there on the road and punch them back, win the game, and then it, it would have been very easy for us to and would have been very like the Lakers to put the foot off the gas pedal against the Washington Wizards, in spite of the fact that Bradley Beal left in the first quarter, the fact that we got the job done against the Wizards the second game was also very impressive, and the dominant ways in which AD just took control of the game, I think now I can say, yeah, in the last 10 games, even with all the caveats with regards to playing, you know, weaker competition with the San Antonio Spurs three times, I think this team has really started to find something here, namely on the back of Anthony Davis. And now that LeBron James is back, they look like they look like when before the league shut down pandemic wise, the synergy between Anthony Davis and LeBron James reminds me of those couple of games right before the pandemic hit. Do you remember when we were yeah. dominating like the Clippers and the Bucks? Oh yeah, yeah, and- yeah. I went to that Bucks game. I went huh? to the Bucks game and the Celtics game, actually. Yeah, right before the pandemic. It's so funny that you bring up Vogel because we're only in December of this season. Yeah. And remember my biggest gripe with Vogel is like, dude, stop trying to hide this Anthony Davis and LeBron James pick and roll because you don't yeah. want the defenses to understand or scheme against that coverage. It's like they know what it is. They know yeah. what a pick and roll is. They know all the different ways you can run it. Trust me, they won't be able to guard it no matter how many times they see it. And you see Ham just being like, yeah, spam that play every single time that you can, whether it's on the wing, whether it's in the paint. Like, they're setting pick and rolls for each other at every single point in the court. You know what I mean? And it's it's working, lo and behold, because, hello, Anthony Davis is a versatile player. He can roll or he can pop out. He can switch the direction of where he's setting that screen. And LeBron James is one of the best playmakers in NBA history. You know what I mean? And you see LeBron James now taking advantage of, I mean, it's been few and far between the plays in which LeBron James has taken it fully into the paint, right? Because he doesn't want to sacrifice his body. But whenever he runs pick and roll with Anthony Davis, he knows the defense is now so focused on the lob that he's going to throw to Anthony Davis that LeBron James is just taking the easy lay in too, you know? So it's even giving LeBron James easy paint points. And the AD and LeBron pick and roll is absolutely working to perfection. I want to give props to Russell Westbrook because the last two games have been pretty incredible, especially from a playmaking standpoint. And against the Bucks, what did he have? Like 11 assists and zero turnovers? And yeah, 11 assists, zero turnovers. He had zero turnovers in back-to-back games, actually. The game before the Bucks, I think he also had zero. And he, you know, again, we we have given Russ his fair share of flack on, on this podcast, and, and he has deserved it. But this season, this dude is locked in. He's doing what the team is asking. I mean, you can live with some of these. Some of the turnovers are still a little suspect, right? But like some of them you can kind of live with if he's giving you 15 assists off the bench. I think the stat I saw last night after the game was Russ has, I think, seven games off the bench so far already with seven or more assists. Um, The entire rest of the NBA bench players combined have seven games. So he is like in Russ, that Russell Westbrook territory again, where he's just doing things that nobody else in the league is really doing. And this dude is coming off the bench again as a six-two guard, like getting you five rebounds off the bench. I mean, he's just he he is competing, and and I think he deserves some some major props for that. No, he does deserve some major props for sure. He um, leads the Lakers in assists, seven point seven assists, and he's really doing a great job pushing the pace, getting into the paint, and then throwing those quick whip passes to Anthony Davis, where all he has to do is rise up and dunk the ball. And then, you know, the lobs, LeBron James has been throing to AD. They are just such 
punctuation, slam dunk sort of plays that really keep the momentum going. And it really, I don't know, it really reinvigorates my soul and spirit as a Lakers fan, Tommy. And I didn't didn't believe or I couldn't believe that I would be saying that given how we started this season. And yeah, like a lot of things are just working for the Lakers. And now I think they are mentally believing that they can do something. And that is a huge part of, you know, um, going on these runs. Um, So, I mean, the last podcast episode, before we take it to break, you're pretty critical of LeBron. What has he done since then (laughs) Um, to sort of, um, yeah, be part of this surge? I, I think a large part of it is just him being more in tune with the full 48 minutes of a game versus, you know, the first half or so, but also just him hitting his shots. And I think the biggest thing for me is just turning on the playmaking switch. I think that does a lot for LeBron James total game as a whole. So I think with, with respect to LeBron, I clearly, he heard my strong words on the, uh, (laughs) on the last podcast and has responded, Uh, but like, no, this dude, I think the big thing, right? And again, it's like maybe I was overcritical of, you know, of a 38-year-old LeBron as he like eases his way into his 20th season. Um, but he has changed certain things, right? And and maybe I attribute part of this to like we sort of started this resurgence and like this more cohesive organized ball on both ends of the court while he went out. I don't know what happened during that time, but at some point while he was out, everything felt like it was starting to click. Um, maybe it was getting reps against lesser teams um, to, to really refine some, some things that weren't working early in the season. Um, but since LeBron, you know, since I, in my opinion, he just had a very, very suspect fourth quarter against Indiana that nearly, or that did lose us the game, um, and and was played a big role, frankly, in, in blowing that lead. He has been taking, I mean, you just see a little bit more, like, it feels like he's less focused on forcing, like, the suspect, like, very long jump shots. Um, it does feel like he's attacking the, the paint a lot more. It mm-hmm. does feel like when he gets into the paint, he's just making the simple read and the simple play. I think, like, there were times where he was maybe forcing it too much to 80 or or like passing up open layups to like try to do weird pass, you know, weird kickouts. And he was maybe like, he was pressing a little bit almost. It felt like, um, but now it feels like he's, he's playing a lot more in control. It feels like he's not trying to play too fast. He's running back on defense. He certainly seems a lot more locked in on that end. And it seems like he's not trying to burn too much energy. And, and honestly, on that point, I give him and the coaching staff a lot of credit when, when, we were early season, like, and we were two and 12, we were top three in the league in pace. We are currently eighth in the league in pace and trending down. And I think that is very important for like a LeBron AD team. This team can still selectively run. You got Lonnie, you have Reeves, you have Troy Brown, you have Schroeder, you have wet Russ, who, who brings a running dynamic off the bench. Thomas Bryant, Wenyon can run for bigs. Like you have guys who can run, but in the LeBron and AD lineups, you don't necessarily just want to be playing like breakneck pace because you need those guys to conserve some energy. So I, I give the, again, front office or the coaching staff a little bit of props for reducing the pace, cutting LeBron's minutes. He has him and AD both have been playing less minutes um, and have been taking rests at different times. So the rotations there have changed a little bit. Um, I give them props for all that, and I give LeBron props for making the simple plays and just 
honestly just elevating his game, right? Like for the first 12 games, this dude was shooting 25% from three. And now on the season, he's already up to 33. So he's getting closer to his career averages, which is about 35. So he's elevating all that stuff. He's cutting down kind of the lazy turnovers and the not running back. And LeBron, like a lot of people said preseason, the only way this team works is if LeBron and AD are both five top five players. LeBron is probably still a top 10 player in my opinion. But AD is like currently literally the best player in the NBA. So <laughs> yeah, it kind of do. it valid that'll do. And and so if LeBron just continues to play like this and AD continues to play like this, we have enough to to make some noise. Well, especially because I think a big part of this was LeBron just finding a rhythm with the basketball yeah. and learning to find his teammates because since that Indiana game, eight assists, two turnovers, 11 assists, zero turnover against the Bucks. Yes, he had five turnovers the last game, but for the much of that game we were fully in control. Um and I mean, he has he has had some incredible passes, even, you know, in the Portland game, that crazy whip pass, no-look whip pass to Austin Reeves for the baseline three, right? So it's not just AD. It's like, I think he just needed to get the rust out of the way and find a rhythm once again. And now we see him also firing on all cylinders as a playmaker, which is his biggest asset ever since he came into the league. And no matter how old LeBron James is, he's always going to have that tremendous Magic Johnson-like vision. And when you have a big like AD next to him, you know, sky is still the limit provided they're both healthy. So we'll take it to break first. And when we return, let's talk about Russell Westbrook again. Give him his props, give him his due, but talk about whether anything has changed with regards to his play and what the Lakers may want to do trade-wise. So yeah, it's I think it's it's an issue and then topic that's been being heavily debated right now, and we'll get to that after the turn. Hey folks, happy holidays from the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Hope you all get the gift that you want this December, and I hope we all get the Lakers trade that we want as well. Though I won't be holding my breath on that one, obviously. But speaking of gifts, the best one that you can give us as the Lakers Legacy Podcast this holiday season is a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app, or a simple five-star tap on our Spotify page. If nothing else, please do it for Tommy, as he becomes a new dad this December. So yeah, we very much appreciate your guys' support. Thank you guys for listening. If you appreciate us and our show, please let it be known with some thumb taps as well. Or if you're in the financially giving mood, you can also visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thelakerslegacypodcast for as little as a dollar, where you'll get some extra audio segments, some extra listens, off-the-record episode podcasts, etc., etc. But for now, a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify will do. So thank you guys so much. And now, back to the rest of our showtime. All right, so we are back. As you mentioned, Tommy, I do have some stats with regards to the team and how, they, how they've how they been playing in the last 10 games. The last 10 games, the Lakers are, of course, 8-2. and two. They are fourth in offensive rating. And then defensive rating wise, they have slipped a little bit, but they are still eighth in defense. They are still eighth in defensive rating. Um, they are fourth in overall net rating at eight point four, which is insane. Um, and then with regards to three point shooting, in the last ten games, the Lakers are now shooting thirty seven percent from three, which is incredible given the fact that in the first five games we were shooting like twenty two percent. Okay, so they have obviously regressed to the positive mean. That is a huge reason why the Lakers are functioning like a normal NBA team um, and have gone on, have been able to go on this recent hot streak because they are shooting above average from three point land. 
Um, and so, yeah, it just seems like everybody is in tune and in concert with one another. And obviously that stems and vibrates out of how dominant Anthony Davis has been. Everything just seems to click into place better. And one of the reasons why Anthony Davis has been so dominant is, of course, the play of Russell Westbrook. 15 assists the last game, though he did have six turnovers. 11 assists, zero turnovers against the Milwaukee Bucks. In other games, he's gotten his scoring on as well. 24 points, 21 points in this last stretch. Um, Yeah, what have your thoughts been on... Has the dial shifted a little bit with regards to how the front office is maybe looking at trades with regards to, we know that their current preference is to maybe do a part one deal with one first and some ancillary pieces like Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn, and then assess things a little bit further, maybe wait till that January 15th date till some of the other slew of newly re-signed players in the offseason can be dealt. Um, and on January 15th, maybe pull off a Russell Westbrook first round pick deal and separate things out that way. Um, I know a lot of fans right now are hyped at the Russell Westbrook redemption story, kind of like a a Dwight Howard redemption redux with the Lakers in 2020. Um, And yeah, I do agree. Like seeing Russell Westbrook buy in, accept his bench role, cheer his teammates on has been pretty endearing. He's even adopted this sort of positive DGAF mindset where he just he's just decided to play ball and let the chips fall where they may in spite of the still awkward circumstances surrounding his contract, like him diving for loose balls and, you know, really trying out there. And it seems like his relationship with Ham is pretty solid. Like all that stuff I love and it, it's easy to sort of, you know, root for. And obviously on the court, his playmaking has been paramount to AD getting easy buckets and keeping AD's momentum and rhythm going. Um, But having said that, at the end of the day, he is still Russell Westbrook. He is still a high-variance player that I'm not sure you can fully rely upon over the full course of a game, let alone an entire season, let alone when the playoffs come around because even as well as Russell Westbrook has been even as well as Russell Westbrook has been playing um if you remember the last loss we had the last loss we had against Indiana he was a prime reason why we weren't able to close out that game you know he was taking ill-advised shots at the end of it granted he was hot for much of it and then against the Portland Trailblazers in the fourth quarter when we were closing out that game He also wasn't playing at the end of it. So even amidst like this great stretch, Russell Westbrook is still a situational player because of his high volatility. And when the playoffs come, and this is a historic Russell Westbrook trait, he's still going to be schemed against when it matters the most. By smart teams, the pace is going to slow down. Teams are going to have time to... um, do their homework against the Lakers and Russell Westbrook. I'm not sure they need to do any more homework than has already been done on Russell Westbrook's play, but historically, Russell Westbrook has always been a player who has these moments in the regular season where he pops. He's contributing positively to the team. It's more about what happens on the tail end of this and whether it's worth it um, to maybe risk um, your your chance at contention. And then at the end of the day, obviously, you know the obvious. He's still being paid $47 million. And if you're not planning to re-sign him this offseason, Tommy, 
to me, it still makes the most sense to see what you can get for that $47 million expiring contract. And I think my problem right now is, and I don't I don't necessarily blame fans for doing this. I think it's within human nature to sort of be prisoners of the moment because it's everything is so lit and Russell Westbrook is actually a part of why things are so lit. And I, I think I just want to reframe the perspective a little bit to... I feel like fans are, are jumping off the deep, deep end too much where now it's turned into... Instead of maybe acknowledging Russell Westbrook's contributions and taking that as like sort of a telling sign that we need to be wary in any trade we make to make sure that we have a replacement for what Russell the, for the positive things Russell Westbrook has been bringing to the table and to the team. I think instead of doing that, fans have gone off like to the other end of the spectrum where it's like, no, we we just need to keep Russell Westbrook, make an ancillary trade on the side, and we should be fine after that. And I think to me that that dial has flung too far in the opposite direction because I I still think if with with how amazing and dominant Anthony Davis is playing right now, he's clearly giving this team and this franchise his all, right? And yeah. to me, it will be a disservice to Anthony Davis to also, as the front office, not give your all. And by that, I mean doing like a part one trade. Yes, it will help the team. But if you're just going to sit on Russell Westbrook because he's quote unquote working right now and Darvin Ham seems to be on this crusade to help him win six men of the year, which would be a cool story as well, because I don't think any if there's ever been an MVP player who's also won six men of the year later in their career. So it would be a great story. But I think it will be a disservice to Anthony Davis and his play to not also push all your chips in this season and try and find a Russell Westbrook trade, whether it's a Russell Westbrook in two first trade for a superstar package or a package with great depth or a part one package with Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn and a first and then a part two package with Russell Westbrook and a first. And I understand finding those types of deals is very hard, but if you know where you stand with your superstars, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I think it's it becomes easier to put your put your chips on the line and be creative enough to find a deal that works. Because right now, I feel like fans are so in love with the Russ, Russell Westbrook Brody experience that they're starting to say. To me, it sounds ridiculous to be like, "I'll make a Russell Westbrook trade, but only if it makes sense." And for me, I'm like, we have so much data that there are so many deals that make sense. It's just up to the front office to, uh, you know, pull the trigger on those deals and sort of rejigger their expectations of what they want in a deal, i.e. be okay with taking back long-term contracts to make the most out of this season with Anthony Davis and the forthcoming year. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on where you stand with Russell Westbrook and potentially making a deal or even keeping him? I think you like both sides can be right, you know, and and that's the problem that often ha- happens in these online debates. Like it could be the case that Russ is a significant contributor to w- the recent success of this team. You, you know, I, I think you can't really deny that. But it could also be true that trading him is our best chance to get better and potentially be a true championship contender. <laughs> the way that our roster is set up and I guess better put the way that our salary structure is set up although Russell Westbrook's contract is sort of an albatross it's like the only way that we can get back real like NBA rotational 
starter, you know, caliber depth. Otherwise, you know, you look at the Pat Bev, Kendrick Nunn, Damian Jones type of situation. You can get back a player or a couple players that aggregate to like 20, 22 million, something like that. But Russell Westbrook allows you to get like multiple guys who are being paid like starter type of salaries. And Mm -hmm. that has some value. Um, I kind of see the front office's approach with respect to Russ. and, And I guess what I'll say is this, like, I actually think you can win some games in the playoffs. You can win games in the playoffs with Russell Westbrook. I just think that it's going to require an even tighter leash than what Ham has showed so far with him. I mean, Ham has cut this dude down to 28 minutes a game, which is his career low. And I think that could even come back a little bit lower in the postseason. Like, to your point, Russ has never been a great postseason player. He's always been schemed against. This dude's career averages, like, drop uh, pretty much. I mean, like, his shooting drops from career 44% from the field to, like, barely 40%. He's had multiple, multiple uh, sub-40% shooting postseasons. So... It is what it is. The way that the game, when everyone's like fully locked in on defense all the time, it's just that is the risk that you want to run with Russ. But that said, from minutes five to minutes 38 or so, can you find 25 minutes in that, you know, 30-ish minute range that you could play Russ and get maximize his effectiveness and get him to give you, you know, 15, 8, and 6 during that time? I think that's possible, actually. So the question is, is it worth it to pay a $47 million player who you cannot play in, play in crunch time? Or would you rather just try to move that guy, acknowledge that you are taking a hit because he has been effective, but you try to move that guy and then bring back in multiple guys like who could potentially play for you in those minutes, namely like wing size, wing depth, a little bit more front court size and depth, like as good as Russ has been, that seems to be a bigger need. I think the real interesting thing for me and how the front office chooses to approach this is what can you actually get in a Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, Damian Jones, and one first-round package? If there is an aggregate trade where you get like two guys making 11-ish million dollars who can come in and be real rotational players for you, I would maybe err on the side of doing that like you said, waiting until January, waiting probably closer to the deadline for like a rust type of deal. And then seeing like, okay, now NBA teams, all we have is rust and a first round pick. So don't ask me for, for five yeah. first, round, first round picks. I'm giving you what I can give you. You're only paying Russ's salary for half the season. We've already paid half of it. Like, what is your best offer? And then seeing what happens there. Um, yeah. I, I just think that both sides can be right and... You know, props to Russ for putting himself in a position where this is actually a conversation because it did not look like, based on how, you know, 75% of the season went last year and how the first, like, 10 games or so of this season went, it did not look like this was going to be a realistic conversation. But he has really embraced the role. I I don't know. Having an MVP and a six-man of the year on the same roster is not a bad thing rolling into the playoffs. But again, like... If you're telling me you have a plan for addressing the roster needs without moving Russ, fine. I'm not saying move Russ just to move him. Um, But I just think that moving Russ is in all likelihood your best chance of getting multiple, you know, rotation type pieces into the mix here. 
Yeah, I, I agree that... So, well, I actually don't agree that both sides can be right. I think both sides can feel what they're feeling, and that is right. It's kind of like in therapy. I acknowledge and validate your feelings. I don't think both sides can be right just because if we're just looking at things from a process perspective, right? I agree that there is a, there is a point of view that, yeah, you get to preserve one of your first round picks and maybe ride this out with Russell Westbrook. But to me, that's not right by process based off of everything we've seen in Russell Westbrook's career. So from my perspective, to hinge your hopes on this Cinderella-like story, given the last year that we just had, and the fact that, Tommy, by the, by the way, we're hemming and hawing about like how great this team is and how the long journey and road it's taken to finally get to this space where Russell Westbrook has bought in and all of the media drama to start the season. And Tommy, you would think we're like a 20-5 and five team. Bro, yeah. we're, we're 10-12. and 12. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Russell Westbrook was averaging 28 and 8 in the month of November last year with a better record. Yeah. So I, I feel like we just need to put things back into perspective a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. as lit as it's ever been in the vacuum of this season and how terrible the last two years have been. But we need to zoom out and realize, like, with AD playing like this, LeBron James acknowledging that AD is the number one man and looking to help him in that position as much as he can. We cannot take AD for granted. We cannot take the position we're in for granted. And I obviously, I agree. If you can only get like bits and pieces for Russell Westbrook in a first, then don't pull the deal. Preserve your first. But the way that you outline things, if you can do a part one deal and you're, and you, you're only left with Russell Westbrook in a first, there are going to be teams by January 15th who are like, hey, we're pivoting our season and we would like some salary cap relief and we would like a first round pick. You know, it's yeah. to me, it makes it easier to trade Russell Westbrook because he is playing like this, because the team that's going to be trading for Russell Westbrook, one, may actually use him. They may actually you know? use him. Yeah, or two, crazy. they know that maybe they can flip him for like a second rounder or they know that another team will act... Not, sorry, they can't flip him for a second rounder, but they know they can buy him out and another team will pick up some of that cost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or that yeah, Russell yeah. Westbrook will give up some money to play for another team. So to me, it, it doesn't make trading Russell Westbrook harder. It makes it harder in the fan sentiment sense of things, I guess. But in, yeah. from the logistical standpoint, it makes it easier because now we have options. We've been waiting for this moment for Russell Westbrook to actually drum up some value so we aren't so desperate. So for us to now be at this position and then for fans to say, oh, no, hold on, hold on. Let's not trade Russell Westbrook. To me, it's kind of yes. it's kind of cuckoo. So and I guess another way to phrase your point and put it like in in just like using actual numbers, a lot was made out of like Russ had back to back games against Portland and Milwaukee where he had a combined 15 assists and no turnovers. It was the first time in his career he's had back to back games with no turnovers. Those back to back games are no, no turnovers are surrounded by three games of six turnovers. <laughs> so, yes. you know, what I mean, so it's like that's kind of like the high variance that mm-hmm. I don't know. um, we're not even talking about the shooting, right? Frankly, for me, if this dude, you're going to tell me this dude is sometimes going to go out there, hit 30%, sometimes going to go out and hit 50%. I can almost live with that. The turnovers are what become critical and kill you in playoff type games because a lot of his turnovers are unforced, like kind of boneheaded. Like he will make these like, passes that make you think this is one of the most elite point guards in NBA history, which honestly he is, right? Like he's a top 75 player, one of the best point guards to ever play. 
But sometimes he will go out there and just throw these, la- like, get lazily picked because he insists on, like, being the primary initiator and ball handler and get, like, lazily picked on, like, soft passes 45 feet away from the basket that lead to instant points on the other side, right? And the- those are the types of plays that are going to kill you in playoff games. Mm-hmm. Um the question for me, right, and that's why I, I, this is another reason for me to just kind of delay this Russell Westbrook experiment or like uh, whatever you want to call it, the tr- the whole off the bench experiment. Like, let's see how that runs for like another couple of months going into the deadline or like another month and a half going into the deadline. Is he going to get better? Is he going to cut down his mistakes? Because Right now, it's not really Russ cutting down his mistakes. He's kind of doing what he's always done. It's just the coaching staff is limiting the opportunities for him to make those mistakes, which is great. And the question that I have is, is that going to continue? Or if he continues putting up these 11, 12, 15 assist games off the bench, are they going to want to ramp up his minutes more? If, If it's the latter, we're honestly, and this is like sad to say because he's been He's dealt with all this stuff. I think like a true professional this year, notwithstanding mm-hmm. all the stuff that happened last year. This year, he's been totally great. Um, if he is going to like get more minutes, it it is better to just trade him. If the if the coaching staff does not have the discipline, because it is a discipline thing from their perspective, like in my opinion, to cut this dude's minutes in the games that he is not being effective for you, you should just trade him now and cut your losses. Um, yeah, you you need to kind of save Darvin Ham from himself because even in the Wizards game, they're rolling out LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook. I mean, what the hell? Like, it hasn't yeah. happened yet, Tommy, but at a certain point, Anthony Davis is going to slow down and yes. you want to make sure you have help around him because he cannot continue to put up 40 and 15 for the whole rest of the season just for us to be you know a little bit you'll see (laughs) yeah i know maybe he'll prove me wrong that'll be great but you know like for me we are in prime quit while you're ahead territory and i don't mean necessarily quit now i i actually agree with you for the first time i've actually changed my tune with regards to the team is playing well enough that russell westbrook and his good play is buying you enough time to extend the experiment out for a month but maybe do an ancillary part one trade first so you can start to build cohesion and then part two then you do the final swoop in where you actually go all in because you're you're just playing with fire every time with russell westbrook the closer and closer you get to playoff basketball and it's so funny people are saying like it's the most ridiculous statement i've ever heard people are like russell westbrook this year is our playoff rondo and I'm like, yeah, I know. it's actually the opposite. Westbrook is the anti-playoff Rondo because Westbrook excels better in the regular season. Rondo doesn't do shit in the regular season. The whole thing about playoff Rondo is that if you hold on to him long enough... He becomes enough, a Hall of Famer in the He becomes playoffs. a Hall of Famer, right. For Russell Westbrook is, the longer you hold on to him, he actually becomes like more of a G League player that you can't trust in crucial <laughs> closed game situations. You know, we have years worth of data where Russell Westbrook's value actually flips in the in playoff situations, like you mentioned. And then he absolutely wets the bed and allows teams to more easily scheme against you. And I just our margin for error is always so razor thin because of his contract. I'm not willing to bet on Darvin Ham not letting politics sort of cloud his judgment over pl- closing time playoff situations you know like f- i'm not betting for that to happen just so that we can have this nice flowery six man of the year cinderella story you know what i mean yeah 
it may happen. I'm not saying it, it won't happen. I, I could Russell Westbrook win a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers if if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are playing like they are. Yes. I, I think that could happen, but the percentage chances of that happening is so much lower than if you actually try to build out a more competent roster. So any last yeah. thoughts? Last thought for me is, I, again, I see both sides of this argument at this point, but I, I think we're sort of on the same page. If we can make a trade and if we can figure out an aggregate package that can get you maybe two you know, mid-level type contracts, around 11 million type contracts to swap out Pat Bev, Nunn, and Damian Jones, like three guys who are like literally not doing anything for us right now. If we can swap those three guys out for like real rotation players and see how that goes for like a month, if we can get that sort of insight and flexibility, it is going to sort of change the calculus a little bit here, in my opinion, because... If you can get two real rotation players out of that, especially if they're at positions of need, you can potentially, and again, I'm not saying you close the door, like we'll see what you can get for Russ still, but you could potentially put yourself in a situation where you like don't necessarily need to rely on Russ. So maybe Russ is just your minute five to minute 35 player. He's not going to play for you in the fourth, but during those middle innings of games, he can come and do some crazy things, potentially. Most teams that have had success in the playoffs have a, a six-man type of guy who is a kind of high-variance guy. Usually it's shooting high-variance, not like, uh, and scoring high-variance, not like a guy who's going to come out and get you like seven turnovers versus like one turnover and 15 assists. Like it, Russ is a little bit different in that sense, but if you can get back enough, enough depth from a Pat Bev, Nunn, and Damian Jones trade and, and like no real like serious moves for a Russ trade uh, emerge, like where you're getting back more NBA starter type depth, I... I think you can make an argument that that might be the first trade might be all you need. But with the point is we don't really know until we see what players we can get back sure. for that type of Pat Bev package. We might end up in a situation where that Pat Bev, Damian Jones, Kendrick Nunn package doesn't get you anything. And then you're right back at the at, at square one with having to, to move Russ. So. Well, there's also the perspective, though, that if that first part one trade works, why wouldn't you just push it to the next level and hit that NAS button, you know? Yeah, but Russell it, Westbrook it, it just depends on, top on of what it. you it just depends on what you get, right? It does. But my biggest issue with just having Russ in general is what we talked we've been talking about this entire podcast. I don't want to put this decision in Ham's hands because as we we're already seeing, Austin Reeves is getting pinched out. Lonnie Walker, yeah. I know, was hurt, but you know that his minutes are gonna get pinched out too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. politics are still going to rule the day at the end of the day because of Russell Westbrook's resume and because he has been playing well. And I just don't want to be put in that very awkward situation in close game, close game situations, very important playoff situations where Russell Westbrook is still out, out there closing the game because, yes, on paper, you're right. Those That type of production in these portion segments within a game, Russell Westbrook can help. But as you know the games aren't played on paper and we're not we're not the ones controlling the my player NBA 2K game, right? So mm-hmm. because of that, try and make the best deal that you can find. Again, obviously if that deal doesn't present itself, don't do it, but I'm dubious of that because by mid-season, teams are going to want to pivot. Why not pivot by saving money and getting a first? You know, that it's up to the front office to be creative and do their due diligence. My God, they've had more than a year to think about Russell Westbrook trades, right? From my perspective, it shouldn't be that hard. 
unless the front office, again, has plans for 2023 cap space and what they want to do with their draft picks that go above my head, even though I don't think it's the right move, you know? So we'll have to see. But in my perspective, if you're able to really get this thing, the, this momentum, positive momentum train going, you kind of got to go all in with how Anthony Davis is playing because there's no assurances that he, he can sustain this till next year, et cetera, et cetera. But you may be able to sustain it with quality depth, more competent, intuitive pieces now. And yeah, if you ask the players right now, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, do you want us to trade Russell Westbrook? I'm sure they'll say, nah, we're good with Russ. He's cool, you know? But like, you're a GM. It's your job to try and build the best roster possible and not think about cool, poetic narratives like six man of the year, Russ, and all that stuff. And to me, and I think we're both on the same page, like, I I think for the fans who are getting caught up in the emotions and moments, I think it's totally fair to be caught up in that because that's the reason why we watch sports. That's the reason why we watch um, basketball to see these players' narratives go up and down, up and down, and to for them to sort of have these redemptive arcs and stuff. But at the same time, if we're looking at the bigger picture of LeBron James and Anthony Davis's legacy, it, it still would make the most sense to try your hardest to do the best to improve this roster by trading Russell Westbrook. At the, while at the same time giving him his flowers and giving him his due. So yeah, with that said, we will see what happens because we are right in the thick of sort of that time window. Um, yeah, I think we both expect Russ to still be on in the new year, 2023. But after that, um, hopefully some things have shifted it up in the league where the Lakers can take advantage of some teams choosing to pivot. And um, yeah, hopefully the lit times continue. So with that said, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Laters. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.